Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Alex Avila with Love University, and we're back. I'm an author, psychologist, and speaker. Every week, we talk about how to love ourselves, others, and a higher nature, how to improve our finances, career, relationships, and spirituality. And today's topic is very fascinating, and we have a great guest to talk about it. It is how to love despite differences and beyond death. Our special guest is Martin Sawa. He is a commercial real estate entrepreneur with a diverse career as a broker, operator, and developer. He's of Ukrainian descent. He's negotiated a lot of high-profile transactions in the San Francisco and LA markets. And recently, he's become an author. His latest book is called The Other Side of Success, Money and Meaning in the Golden State, and he helps people with business and life strategies and mentorship. Welcome, Martin, to the show. Hi, Dr. Alex, and thanks so much for having me on. Yes, we're excited to have you on here. And you have a very fascinating personal life that you talked about in the book with interracial marriages. You married an African-American lady, I believe two African-American ladies, as well as a full-blooded Choctaw Native American uh, woman. And you talk about the experiences you had with them. So originally, you may know, Martin, there's controversy with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, who are married, and she is a biracial, actually American actress, who married the prince. And they had this controversy. They said there were racial issues in the royal family, and they actually left the royal family. One of the family members said, they didn't say who, was talking about how dark would the baby be that she was having. So this raised a lot of issues. And you've been married three times interracially. So tell us a little bit about your experiences with that. Have there been challenges? Have there been positives to it? My uh, experience spans uh, quite a few years. Yes. Uh, so it might be helpful just to give you a little backstory. Yes, definitely. I moved from the rural Midwest to California in 1973 and uh, lived in Oakland and then later worked in San Francisco across the bay. And Oakland was uh, pretty diverse even at that time. There was uh, the black population had been growing and was about to equal the white population. Yes. Uh, there was a historic Chinese community. There were Vietnamese, Vietnamese refugees coming over after the Vietnam War. There were yes. immigrants from Mexico. So uh, it was kind of a melting pot. And I met my first wife, uh, who was a Native American, and we married. Yes. And being, being married has you put skin in the game, <laughs> so to speak, yes. which is one of the themes of my book. Yes, I know. Uh, this was the 70s, and it was free love and all of that. Yes. But uh, admittedly, the harder part of the interracial marriage uh, before I got into it was, was not race, but uh, she had two children, yes. uh, sweet kids from a prior marriage, and it was the responsibility a marriage and raising a family and providing. Yes. So we later fell apart. And then I yes. remarried in 1991 to a black woman who came from the rural South. Yes. And kind of did the same thing I did, left <laughs> a little town behind and came yes. to California and to force of will, right. uh, find success. Exactly. Now, now, Martin, one thing that's interesting in terms of statistics, they say that 40% of Americans believe in interracial marriages as good for society, but only 17% of the people actually marry interracially. And the lowest percentage actually is a Caucasian and African-American. And 7% of Caucasian females marry African-American males, and only 3% of black females marry Caucasian males. So your case was kind of a small percentage. 
And one of the problems yeah. uh, apparently is the issues of non-acceptance, you know, by society, and also by even by family members that disapprove. Mainly the uh, non-white families disapprove more than the minority families. And the one thing is that when they date interracially, they may be okay with it. But when they have, as you say, skin in the game, when they start to get married, then the problems arise from the family disapproval. Now, you mentioned that the family members of the, of the lady that was Choctaw Indian accepted you. But how did your family members react to you marrying the non-Caucasian woman? Well, my parents always lived in this little town in uh, rural Wisconsin. So they had plans for me to marry a nice Ukrainian girl, one of the family that came over with them who lived in New York on the Lower East Side. Uh, So I I think that was a disappointment to them. My first and then my second wife, it was something they weren't expecting. Right. But they did come out, and yeah. uh, after we had our daughter, right. everybody kind of united at the church, and it, yes. it, it went well. I see. So the 17%, by the way, today was 3% back in the 70s. Oh, yes, exactly. So, <laughs> it's increased. <laughs> it's, a, it's a 500% increase. Yeah, and you were kind of a maverick, I guess, in some ways in the racial intermarriage. And the other thing is there are some challenges, apparently, of you know, the societal pressures, prejudice. They said that there's a 41% divorce rate in the 10th year for interracial marriages versus 31% of non-interracial marriages. Now, you guys did you did divorce twice, right, with the minority females. So was that a problem with you, the, the differences or the prejudice, or were there other issues that, that made you divorce them? No, the, I mean, I can't speak for all interracial couples. Right. And they, it varies across the board. And as yes. you correctly pointed out, Right. If you look at all races, not just black and white, yes. there are differences in, you know, by sex, who yes. dates out more or marries out more than others. Right. And correctly, that it, it was always kind of sleeping with the enemy, uh-huh. uh, not just if you were white, for, for my experience, for other yes. races as well. Right. So, yeah, you have to be a little bold, uh, but then you get down to the business of living day to day. And you either have shared values or you don't, or you respect each other's history or you don't, or you feel you're equal. Yes. Not inferior, not superior, or you don't. I see. Now, the first wife, Native American, Choctaw Indian, apparently they said the research shows that they have the highest rate of intermarriage among um, uh, interracial intermarriage, 56%. So apparently... They do that quite a bit. But you also mentioned she had kind of a temper. Did she ever, like, attack you physically or, or mentally? Well, I had to treat that carefully in the book. And <laughs> yes. obviously, or, or you look like you're just, you know, out for right. whatever. Right. And she's passed, she passed away. So. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. So I, so I interviewed her children, my stepchildren. Yes, definitely. And that was the basis for the, the scenes in the book. Right. And they described kind of what it was. And, it, yeah, she later had was diagnosed with some mental issues. Uh, okay. But in the in the 70s, yes. you know, it was a different time. I see. Just, you know, I mean, uh, there, are, there are women that abuse men physically and emotionally, even though it's not as uh, popularized as opposed to the other right way around. Was she that way to you in some ways? Not that bad. Uh, there was a physical incident, which, frankly, I had forgotten. And my stepkids remember. Right. Uh, it was just a lot of fighting and anger. Oh, okay. Mostly. Verbal kind of things. So that didn't work out for you. But, I mean, there are a lot of advantages, to say, for interracial marriages, you know, helping with uh, any racism, diversity. Also, they say they, they have genetically healthier children because there are fewer recessive gene diseases as well. So that could be great kind of positives in terms of that. But what are the positives of being involved with interracial marriages for you? 
Well, I, I have a great daughter <laughs> and some okay. great stepchildren okay. uh, who have their own great stories. I see. So, so your, your, your daughter is from the first Native American wife? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So she's half Choctaw, half Ukrainian. Oh, okay. So, so it was fried bread and Easter eggs. <laughs> okay. That's kind of cool. So that's actually they say one of the great benefits is seeing the beauty and the differences in the culture, like I guess in the food, soul food, and uh, you guys do borscht and that kind of stuff or kind of Russian, Ukrainian kind of food. Yeah, they're, they're very close, uh, similar also to Polish food. Yes. So you have portion. Exactly. And uh, you'll say that you're having kind of a weeness, a union among yourself, you know, you and the spouse in terms of racism, defending each other. You know, like if family members attack, you you defend them, your spouse. And also um, marrying for the right reasons, because sometimes people marry interracially for rebelliousness against parents, excitement or, or other reasons, as opposed to you can't live without them. And you mentioned that with your second wife, you had that, that the love feeling with her, that you couldn't live without her. My second wife, and again, her qualities... Yes. Uh, aren't really based in race. She happened uh, to be black. Yes. But that didn't give her the quality she had. She could have yes. easily been something else. And right. She was. Um, she was. You know, she had what I would call powers in the yes. in the spiritual and metaphysical realm. Yes. And, um, she was quite a person. Yeah, I want to get into her a little later because I know that you have a beautiful love story about her. But the other thing, uh, Martin, that struck me about your book, by the way, is uh, very excellently written, you know, very uh, fast moving, engaging. Thank you. Is the idea that you talk about mental health issues. Now, you said, you, I think your dad and you also were an alcoholic at one time. Yeah, I grew up in a little town called Prairie du Chien, Wisconsin, yes. on the banks of the Mississippi River. Oh, okay. And the town had about 5,000 people and about 40 bars. Yes. Oh, okay, so, 40 bars. <laughs> that tells you something right off the bat. I see. So drinking was, was in your a family. day and age. Yes. And you yeah. became a, would you say you were an alcoholic at one time or were you just have a drinking problem? How would you classify yourself? Uh, I think they're one and the same. When when it's a problem for you or for yes. the people around you, Yes. Uh, then technically you're an alcoholic. Yes. Whether you... You know, abstain for 300 days a year and binge drink for five or, yes. or however many. So I see. So uh, how did you overcome this? I know, I think in the book you talked a little bit about it, and it did create problems in your relationship. I think you went to a counselor at one time. So what was uh, the breaking point? Some people have to lose their family, their house, you know, and, and whatever, even go to jail. But was there a, a, a turning point for you, something that uh, put a light bulb in your head to stop drinking so much? Yeah, yeah, and it was the toughest part of the book to write. Uh, yes. But I made the decision: either I'm going to be all in on truthfulness or not yes. in at all. Okay. And uh, I was at kind of the top of my game. Yes. As a commercial real estate broker. Right. We were living in uh, West Los Angeles at the time. Right. And I was traveling a lot internationally and yes, uh, domestically and. Uh, I had flown up to the Bay Area for a meeting, stayed overnight, uh, got together with an old girlfriend I had one night of chair, uh, and that was it. Uh, if you would have known my wife, it wasn't the, the sex was almost secondary. It was just the violation yes. of right. the sacred uh, marriage vows. And it was awful, and, and the alcohol, I'm not blaming, placing the blame anywhere, but yes. squarely on myself. But uh, years of drinking just went along kind of with the business, and um, it, I felt I had to quit. 
And you said yeah. you met a lot of uh, most of your uh, girlfriends in bars. I think your first wife was at a bar, right, or something like that. Uh, yeah, that's kind of all I knew. <laughs> I, after uh, yes. you know, growing up in that little town where probably all ninety percent of the men were would be considered alcoholics today, wow. and then uh, I went to school at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, which was yes. a huge drinking town. And yes. Just kind of kept going. So, so Martin, was that, uh, I guess, were you caught having the affair? Was that the breaking point or was, or something happened uh, that got yeah, you Well, yeah, I, can, I confess to it, but confess because of it. her power, she already knew. Oh, oh, just, oh, okay. This is your second wife you're talking about them. Yeah, know. yeah. Okay. So that was, yeah, that was the breaking point I in see. terms of the drinking that was where okay. I hit bottom. So it's kind of tough to have a, an intuitive psychic wife because she knows everything about you. You can't... Uh, Right. <laughs> right. Okay. So she. Uh, so you told her, and then how did she take that? Obviously, she's hurt, and does she want to leave oh, you? It was devastating. And yeah. For a few days, we didn't talk much or anything, and then yes. she made a decision, and it was hers to make to give me uh, give me one more chance. Oh, okay. That's awesome. And I don't know if I, if I were her, if I would have made that decision. <laughs> I see. Well, Is that when you got to Alcoholics Anonymous and counseling and things like that? No, I went to a counselor. It, uh, it wasn't a Beverly Hills psychiatrist. It was a guy who had been an alcoholic himself. Right. Uh, but, you know, was a psychologist, had a okay. lot of wisdom. Yeah, those and, are the good ones. They had the experience. Yeah. yeah, and he said, you know, until you deal with the drinking, right. you can't deal with whatever pro other problems you may have because right. your head's in a fog. And you can't think clearly. Ah. And so, and, that, and you don't hear that too often. You know, right. you hear, well, yes. you know, you go to therapy and that, but right. uh, it's really true. I see. If you, certainly with alcohol, I don't know about other addictions, I see. until you stop it. I see. You Martin, can't really, you know, you grew up in a, in, a, in a pretty good family. Was there any kind of traumatic incidents as a kid that made you want to drink or? Do you want to keep up? Well, my dad was an alcoholic, and there'd be fights with my mom. Oh, I see. So you, you, you learned uh, that. He would hide his bottles, and then she'd find them, and then they'd get in big fights. And I see. Yeah. And today, that would be called dysfunction. Right. This is pretty much like the kids I know. So I think so. it may be genetic to an extent, uh, or possibly environmental at the same time, the alcoholism. I, yeah, I think genetics may give you a predisposition, but, right. uh, but I don't believe it can't be defeated yes. uh, with, you know, with just a desire to do it. You've been sober for a while, Martin, would you say? Or you still have well, a couple of drinks? But I did. I didn't go cold turkey. My dad went cold turkey. Oh, okay. And he had a he had heart surgery. And the uh -huh. uh, surgeon told him if he kept drinking, he'd have maybe a couple more years oh, left. No. So that, that was his wake-up call. I but he became uh, just withdrawn. Right. He would sit in his chair. He wouldn't speak. And That's terrible. So, so right. that works for some. And certainly he, he didn't harm his wife or himself anymore. But I, see. Uh, so, I, I went on a, what I would call a self-directed program of controlled moderation. Okay. So you can have a I couple of uh, beers that. or a couple of uh, wines. And you're okay uh, pretty much. Yeah, or I go for days or weeks without drinking. Yeah, so it didn't become like I was obsessed with not drinking. Yes. And, uh, and at the same time, if I hit 
two beers. That was it. Oh, I see. I get it. So, well, Marty, you sound like a, in the book, you sound kind of like a fun guy, you know, like you hang out with all <laughs> kinds of people, you know, you're kind of a cool guy <laughs> and uh, very sociable. But the other thing is, uh, I know you mentioned your, your sister has schizophrenic, uh, paranoia schizophrenia, and you, you lost track with her for many years. You reunited, and then she died five years later. Uh, so how did you deal with that part of it? That, that's a, a grieving situation with the sister. Well, that's it's quite a story. She became estranged from the family yes. uh, back in the early 80s. And then uh, for the next 25 years, yes. you know, I hired private detectives. Really? They didn't have, you know, Ancestry.com back then. Yeah, the internet. Yeah. And I could never find her. So yes. they, they told me she just had fallen off the grid. Oh, okay. If she was even alive. Yes. And then in 2010, a family in Orlando, Florida, uh, contacted my brother and myself, and it was tremendous. Uh, we flew out and kind of reestablished the relationship. She was, again, suffering from severe uh, paranoid schizophrenia, yes. but with meds, yes. was able to control it. And we got five more years together out of that. Oh, okay. So that's always a, a very difficult thing for family members when there's mental illness. But the most difficult thing, or one of the most difficult things perhaps, is the loss of the death of uh, you know, either a child or a spouse. And you had this happen to you. Your second wife, Anita, the African-American lady, died suddenly. Uh, you told me she was one of 18 children from Alabama, religious parents. And uh, you met her through a personal ad. And then you said on the second date, she had brought a chaperone who asked you, what's your experience with black women? And that sounds pretty intimidating, just right there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, uh, you have a little bit uh, enough, but not too much or something, I think you said, right? Yeah, that, that was a pretty good scene to write. Uh, after <laughs> uh, it's, uh, you know, it's like, uh, do you beat your wife often? <laughs> of course. <laughs> now, how did you agree to that? I mean, some, some men or women might be turned off by uh, someone insisting on a chaperone date. Uh, but you, you, you really liked her? You wanted to do it? Yeah. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, again, we had met through an ad. They didn't have uh, yeah. Match.com then. Right. And so, well, even today with internet dating, you, until you physically meet the person, right. uh, you really can't make an assessment. Yes. You know, sometimes you don't even, you know, the picture you see maybe from 20 years ago. Right. Or... Uh, they were just texting. Uh, it's all kind of controlled conversation. Yes. Uh, when I met her within about five minutes, uh -huh. I knew she was special. So yes. uh, anything else was kind of, you know, uh, right. fun and games. So you had the chemistry, see. you had the, the spiritual, emotional connection. And, uh, and she said she was kind of a, a very strong woman, uh, uh, kind of um, uh, upfront. She said something like, uh, are you going to pass or play after three months of dating? So she wanted a commitment, right, Martin, from you? And uh, Yeah, the, the women I've known of all races have, yes. uh, I would describe them as confident. Okay, so you're attracted to confidence. They're not, they're not shrinking violets. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> okay. They know what they want. And, yes. You know? I see. Again, you pass or play. It's your choice. Mm -hmm. and like because I, I lived in the world of business, I mean, yes. I, I negotiate with people whose names you reading the paper. Wow. Uh, I was kind of used to that. It was like the challenge. I see. <laughs> but Martin, you seem like a soft-spoken, almost uh, like an internal energy guy. Uh, are you more 
like a softer personality or are you also strong in a different way? Well, I, I'm not, at least most of the time, I've not went to yell and jump up and down. Right. Yeah. Okay. It was just the way I was brought up and my education and then right, right. kind of my business life. You, yes. you negotiate and you yes. learn how to compromise. I if see. you don't, then uh-huh. uh, you, you have, you're broke. I see. <laughs> now, now this, uh, this lady here, you said it was very fascinating. She had like, you call it spiritual, intuitive, or even psychic abilities. You said she could pick up the phone even before it rang because she knows someone was calling. Uh, she met an old lady at a grocery store one time, uh, some stranger, and then she said, this is an angel. And you said she had a, someone that bullied her when she was younger, and then she told her, you're going to get tuberculosis, and she actually did two weeks later and died. So these are pretty amazing things. Uh, these are the kind of the magical qualities that your, your wife had. Yeah, it was, I call it the world of the unseen, uh-huh. for a lack of a better word. Yeah. And then it kind of embraces uh, those events and occurrences in life, yes. which don't have a scientific explanation. Right. And I was pretty, I've always been pretty open-minded and rely on my direct visceral experience as much or more than what I read in books. So it was weird at first, and and again, I thought it was just kind of happenstance or coincidence. But then I saw there's actually, you know, call it a parallel universe or whatever, uh, that operates in the background. And if you're fortunate enough to be able to tap in in some way, either through your own abilities or, you know, being close to someone who can, it's uh, it's pretty extraordinary. Like I say in the book, uh, playing three dimensional chess. Yes, that's pretty fascinating. But but then, uh, Martin, your life was just totally upended. Uh, she suddenly died on you. Uh, I think you found her in the bathroom or something, and um, apparently of an enlarged heart or some kind of genetic defect in the heart. Now that must have been a, a, not only a shock but tremendous grief. I think you said you cried like um, you never cried before when you found her uh, dead. Yeah, there's, there's really no way to describe it. She uh, literally dropped dead one night. Wow. And I found her in the bathroom. We're getting ready to go to dinner with friends. Wow. And three hours later, the coroner wheeled her out the door. Hmm. Uh, it's impossible to describe. Yeah, it's impossible. But apparently that, that set you on a, a journey of a realization, uh, looking at the meaning of, uh, I guess, life and death. And you talk about what we known as immortality projection, that people realize, you know, we're not eternal. We, we're going to die. But we're trying to find something to attach ourselves to. Uh, and I'm thinking one example is, for example, some people love uh, athletes and sports. And uh, last year it was Kobe Bryant, you know, the iconic um, athlete who died suddenly. And people saw this person as, you know, being uh, invincible, you know, handsome, young, powerful uh, humanitarian. Uh, and yet he died. And that kind of shocks people. So what is your feeling on that? Do you think that people do that? We look up to others or, you know, some uh, celebrities or other people, and we see them as uh, maybe almost immortal as a projection of what we want to be. I I think that's exactly right. After Anita passed, I I couldn't work, so I spent months just studying death and grief. Right. And... uh, I came across the work of Ernest Becker. I don't know if any of your readers are mm-hmm. familiar with him, but um, yeah. he, he, he wrote the quote book on it. 
called The Denial of Death, yes. for which you won a Pulitzer Prize. Wow. Awarded posthumously because he died at age 49. Oh, wow. So, so he died suddenly, uh, you probably do. Yeah, but for, in terms of a secular explanation, mm. uh, his theory was, yeah, we find these immortality projects and we project or give our power over to others uh, on the belief that they'll help us live forever. Yes. Uh, but on a non-secular, on a religious or spiritual level, it all depends what you believe to be true. Right. If you believe that life starts at zero and ends at zero, then you're going to live in a certain way. If you believe there's more to life than meets the eye, uh, you're going to live in a different way. Definitely. And uh, so, you know, I really like talking about this. And, you know, this part of your book really um, strikes me is, uh, you know, your philosophical search. You know, a man deep in grief and pain, suffering, but still trying to find a solution to this idea of, uh, you know, life and death. And you talk about, you know, you being a, a Catholic and also uh, you studied um, Buddhist uh, meditation, uh, Zen, Zen meditation, uh, Zazen, dealing with non-attachment to thoughts and, and diminishing the monkey mind, you know, the chattering thoughts that we have. So the idea that, you know, we need a higher solution to the, the problem. You know, we can't defeat thoughts with more thoughts. And the other thing I like that you said is that your philosophy is that a closed system requires a source code and a programmer with creativity, uh, as in God or a higher power, that can program this. So it's not like this, we live in a, a non-God world. And you also said to live each day as if it's your last, not hedonistically, but to do take good and do better, to be compassionate, uh, to uh, pray in gratitude. These are really beautiful ideas. How did you come up with these things? Well, it just came out of that period of reflection after Anita's death. Yes. Uh, most people, you know, they don't want to uh, talk about it or think about yes. it. Yes. Uh, that's just the nature of human tendency because uh, Becker's thesis was the human dilemma is that we have conscious self-awareness. Right. Not only of ourselves, but a world around us and other people. Yes. At the same time, we know with certainty that we're going to die. Yes. And that's a hell of a bind. Mm. <laughs> Although some people think there is a mortality. You know, the, they're doing some kind of studies with, uh, have you heard of avatars and all that? We could put your consciousness in them. So there are people who are always searching for that, the fountain of youth or immortality. Uh, some people, or they deny it through pleasure. Like you said, hedonism is another way to do it. And others become uh, paralyzed by the fear of death. So what do you, uh, what's your advice to people? Let's say, you know, you've experienced death in your family or your close ones. Uh, what would you be your advice to them in terms of how to deal with that? Well, in, in the book, um, I take a quote from William James, who I have yes. high regard for. And again, I don't know how many of your listeners are familiar, but he was a... Of kind of a psychologist and author and yes. autodidact from about 100 years ago. Yes. And a philosopher. And um, he said that it, it may be evil or death or that side of life that provides the greatest portal to understanding. Yes. Uh, and rather than deny it or refuse to deal with it, uh, not saying to embrace it, but to see what lessons it teaches you. And then that may alter what you believe to be true. Yes. At Love University, our concept is uh, love without expectations. 
uh, we call it agape or karuna, which is compassion, or batki, and, and which is a devotion in different uh, philosophies, is uh, you know the solution for many uh, what ails us, and uh, you know love this love that lasts beyond even beyond life. And uh, one beautiful segment in your book, you talk about the connection you had with your wife uh, after she died. And uh, you talk about an intuitive Mary Jo, uh, you can call him a psychic, who um, kind of uh, channeled your wife uh, to you. And you uh, were able to talk to her as, as she experienced that. And she said something like, uh, she feels like sunflower, light sunflower, open and bright. If you could only see the light as she sees the light, feel the peace as she feels the peace. She fluffs the, pillow, the pillows of you and it says that she left a rose petal in her Bible for you, your wife. And then you actually open up the Bible and you find a rose and passages directed to you from your wife before her death. So that's pretty amazing kind of stuff. Did that kind of uh, shock you when that happened? Uh, not really because of <laughs> the kind of lifestyle we had. So you knew mm -hmm. her pretty much yeah. that she could do this stuff. Yeah. But the, the psychic, uh, and I'm not trying to... Uh, convince your audience of the right. authenticity of mediumship or anything. All I can say is I had a personal experience uh, and I got to know the psychic quite well. Yes. And after an event that really helped me get, 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 on, get on with my life because uh, from that point on, I believe that uh, love and a relationship can yeah. survive physical death. Yes. And that's that's a pretty big concept. Yeah, it's very beautiful. Now, what does it mean when she can fluff the pillow of you? What, what does that mean, actually, that phrase? Well, with all that we had gone through and all my issues, and uh, I was sort of her spiritual project. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, from, yeah, and... It was just uh, validation. I didn't know if she even uh -huh. loved me anymore. You see what I mean? So it was it was a validation and that that gave me the strength. So say that again. You, she didn't love you anymore. Is that what you said? No, I said when when I called the the psychic. Yes. And she and she went into trance, and yes. you never know what you're going to get. Right, right. Uh, if you're even going to connect with who you want to connect with, because yes, right. quite often you don't. Right. And then what is that person going to say? Ah, okay. <laughs> so you might say she, she might say, "I hate you because of such and such." Or yeah, you? yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. But she really said she loved you in those beautiful words that she did, and and the action she left you the rose petal in her Bible. Well, the, the thing about mediumship, uh, there are many, there are many who are not skilled or fraudulent, but there's a tiny percentage yes. that are very skilled. And the way they prove it is that they will say something or describe an event or something that no one else could possibly know. Yes. So and, there, was a, there was actually a rose in the Bible. Did you actually find mm -hmm. what she said you would find? Mm -hmm. Wow. And you didn't know any about this beforehand. This is something that just just occurred. No, no. That's amazing. Now, the other thing, uh, Martin, you said that you weren't totally sold on this. You actually had a second, like a backup psychic to to do this as well. And you said the backup psychic uh, also said something similar. He said, she's like your guardian angel helping you help yourself. When your time comes, she will be there to walk you over as if she passed one moment and you the next, which is a very beautiful 
imagery where, you know, she's waiting for you. Now, how did that strike you, This the second psychic? Well, I was, I don't want to say doubting Thomas, but again, <laughs> I'm, I'm living in this parallel world of business. Right, of course. Uh, Logical, rational, uh, and objective. Yeah, at a pretty high level. And I, I couldn't talk with any <laughs> colleagues about yeah. psychics. I think you're crazy or something. <laughs> so, and and I, I read quite a bit, uh, mostly nonfiction. And yes. I would read science and academic journals. And, you know, you get, you wonder, well, maybe this is all just something I'm making up in my head or I'm being deluded. So I called another psychic. I kind of vetted him first. By reputation and yes. whatnot, and, and again, he produced virtually identical results, which is extremely rare, even in that realm. Yes, so, in psychology, we call yeah. re replication of, of, of data, so the re the results were replicated uh, that second time. And then, uh, apparently, one thing you said that years later, something amazing happened. You were in bed, and she appeared uh, next to you in bed uh, as a luminous white light. He said it wasn't a dream. You were uh, awake, and then she absorbed you into her, almost like an act of not love making, but an act of pure love, and a union with her and beyond. So that's an amazing experience, and that just happened the one time. Just uh, to that degree, uh, because your, your expectations are maybe she'll like show up every week on Sunday night or something, you know, it just <laughs> okay. doesn't happen. That's, that that's your spiritual date night, right? She shows up, yeah. you get some yeah. champagne or something. But <laughs> uh, So just out of the blue, and this was years, mm. years later. Yes. And uh, again, it's difficult to describe, but I knew it wasn't a dream. Mm. Uh, and What was your was emotion at the time? Martin, you sound like a very logical guy. Are you a logical or a feeling personality type, would you say? Well, it depends what I'm doing. Okay. <laughs> I, I I try to work both both the left and right oh, okay. brains. So. so in this case, were you crying? Were you emotionally touched? Do you remember anything about the stuff when the wife? No, I just like a feeling of great gratitude to uh -huh. the big guy. Yes. For allowing me to have that experience. I see. So you felt the love in your heart as uh, she was there with you. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. So despite differences, you know, raci racially, ethnically, even despite life and death, uh, your love apparently lasted, right, beyond the, this time. And do, do you still have the love for her and she and you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like it survives, uh, it survives physical death. Yes. So it's, 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 again, depending what you believe. Yes. But it doesn't stop, you know, in 10 years or something. Right. Okay. That's, um, That's beautiful. And then you say that you married another African-American lady, you divorced her, and then you're back with her now without being married again. Uh, tell us what happened there. Well, uh, scroll ahead now. This is about 2006, and about four, four and a half years after Anita passed. And uh, I had dated, uh, but didn't really uh, find someone who I could make that commitment. When, I mean, I was not getting any younger. And I said, this is, it's either uh, the third time's the charm or <laughs> three strikes and you're out. Okay. And this time you had <laughs> Match.com came to your rescue or, or one of those. Uh, Match.com came to my rescue. <laughs> okay. and we, we met under what I call serendipitous circumstances. Yes. Uh, and uh, 
Then we married two years later. Okay. Uh, now, why did you divorce? Because I know something didn't work out temporarily. Well, it was it was a tough period business wise. Um, okay. My partner and I, I, I had uh, gone on from being a broker to an operator, and now a developer, and we had a uh, large mixed use project in downtown San Francisco for to develop. Yes. As, uh, at that time, probably valued at about four hundred million dollars. Wow! And so there was a lot of stress, and this okay. then the uh, the financial great financial crisis right. and great recession set in. Okay, so that made our, you kind of uh, pressurize the marriage, and then you guys divorced. Uh, but then you got back together, and you're together today, as of today. So that's a love success story, I would imagine. Yeah, after we divorced legally, uh, yeah. although we, for a few years we lived apart in different cities, we continued to talk every night and yes. fly and meet each other. So oh, we were okay. never really apart, and wow. we remained faithful to each other I see. during all that time. And then okay. decided a couple of years ago, well, heck, might as well give it another shot. So. Okay, so you kind of like roundabout in your life. You started... Uh, I guess with one wife that didn't work out, another one that died, and now with, uh, with another one that apparently you are uh, with, you know, and happy with. And um, so with all the wisdom you gained, Martin, in your life, I know you're a son of Ukrainian immigrants. They're very poor. You made it uh, to graduate school, graduated. Uh, you had a great career, right, in real estate. Uh, what is one tweet uh, that you would uh, tweet to the world uh, to help uh, us today? Well, I'll give you two tweets. Oh, okay. Uh, but I, but <laughs> if there's any takeaways from yes. my life, you know, one that we've talked a little bit about that is to put skin in the game. Yes. And what, does actually, what does that actually mean, Martin? Put skin in the game. Uh, in in a business sense, it means uh, when you're in partnership or venture with another party. Yes. Um, that you put your time, money, and reputation yes. in the deal. Okay. You see? So you have something to risk, and yes. the stakes keep getting raised, yes. and you have more and more at risk. Yes. So you can't act uh, foolishly. I mean, uh, you can, yes. but it will cost you dearly. Uh, I see. Okay. And so it's the same as living together or getting married. And Yes. Signing on the line, which is dotted. Yes. Um, you have responsibility, in right. legal, financial, ethical, moral. I see. And that's that keeps you keen. Ah. Uh, the other, and I, I've never seen things that I thought I would see in my life today, yes. particularly with uh, what people believe what they right. see on their gadgets yes. these images right. and they believe this to be true so it's what i tell people i work with i i say the first question i have is what do you believe to be true and 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 on what basis and it's kind of top down again if you don't believe there's much more to life than what there is if you believe what you see uh, on, on these images, on your gadgets, uh, then you're going to live your life a certain way. Mm. And the second is, who do you admire? And that tells me 
pretty much what they're about. Okay. So now, now the, I like those though. So the first one is uh, put skin in the game, and the second one is who do you admire? Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Okay. So skin in the game. I think you're talking about commitment, uh, and then commitment leads to um, motivation and perseverance because you can't really quit. You got to make sure it works out. And then who do you admire? This is actually a great lead in. I guess maybe you're psychic, Martin, because this is well, this is my next question. I don't know how you knew this. But uh, what is your superhero in life? And uh, that's that's my next question. By the way, did you know I was going to ask you that, Martin? Did you have a no. psychic? You didn't know? <laughs> okay. So, so you never inherited your wife's uh, psychic abilities, as far as you know? No. <laughs> oh, you didn't? Oh, okay. <laughs> so you just go by the... Well, yeah, yeah. Well, let me say this again. In my business life, I've negotiated with people who are masters of illusion. Oh, really? So I was I was able to yeah perform my own uh, oh, okay exam skeptical examination. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I like the way you said that. So you didn't call them liars or cheats. You said they're masters of illusion, which is a more it's a nicer way. To yeah. Say it, right? Okay. Okay. So who is so those are your anti heroes? I would think, but who is your superhero in life, living or dead? Could be a figure in history, could be a personal person, maybe alive or dead. Well, in, in terms of the big picture, admiring from, from um, you know, as, as good as, as things can be, it would be God, okay. Christ, spiritual, the spiritual heroes. Are there uh, any of those comic book heroes that you like? Are those, you know, Marvel comics or any of those? No, I, 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 I'm not. I was never really into like fictional, imaginary worlds because, oh, okay. and then that's why I wrote the uh, before I wrote the memoir. I when I got out of the commercial real estate business, yeah, I committed myself to writing, to classes. I wrote some screenplays, oh, okay. and that's it. I see. How about how but about then I discovered it? that the the characters I knew and the experiences I had were more interesting than what I could conjure up. How about, how about a living person, uh, a living person, Martin, that you really admire or have admired? Anywhere from your parents to, I don't know, the psychics, your wives, your kids, or anyone else? Or even the, in well, the business my, world? My, my second wife had the greatest impact on my life Okay. for the better of anyone I've known. I see. So she could be your superheroine, you're saying, your second wife. Yes. Yeah. That's beautiful. To have a, a great love and also... Someone that you can confide in and also who's almost like a mentor, a role model. That's pretty powerful. Yeah, she became not only wife and lover, but spiritual mentor and moral yeah. compass. Wow, that's really beautiful. So, so when, know, when she died, it wasn't, you know, I mean, I had all my eggs in that basket, so to speak. Right. So do you believe what the psychic told you that instantly you're going to see her leading you up the pathway to the higher place? Uh, that certainly makes sense because I'll be... In a world where time, space, other dimensions are right. probably going to be a little bit different. Definitely. Well, Martin, you seem like a very compassionate and thoughtful man, and you kind of mostly disciplinary. I mean, you're in the—we didn't talk a lot about business, but you seem like a very successful businessman, real estate guy. But also, you have a very philosophical, spiritual yearning uh, for truth and for meaning. And I see that in your writing and also in what you're talking about today. And also the idea of love as the ultimate solution for many things. You know, this lasting love we're talking about, the agape, love without expectation. Now, Martin, is there anything else you're working on now or, or where can we get a hold of you and, and learn more about you? Do you have a website, books and things you're doing? Yeah, the the best uh, thing to do is just to go to my website, which is martinsawa.com. And there it tells you about the other side of success, money and meaning yes. in the Golden State. Your listeners can 
type in a message in the box. I'd be glad to talk to them. Uh, it has links to my social media sites where they can see pictures yes. of all the characters we've talked about. So, Well, Martin, it's been wonderful having you on the show. So your website, again, give it to us one more time. Yes, uh, www.martinsawa, martinsawa.com. Martinsawa.com. Well, Martin, it's been great to have you on the show today. It's been a great pleasure. We'd love to have you on again if you, know, you get another book or something you're working on to talk to you about it. Oh, that'd be great. And again, thanks so much for having me on. Yes, it's been a wonderful pleasure. And again, you know, you're integrating a business and spirituality, love, and also social and cultural issues in your life. So if anyone wants to talk about today's show, have comments, or have a suggestion to be on the show, you can reach us at 310-226-8090. Visit us at loveuniversity.love. Write to us at loveuniversitylove at gmail.com. So again, on behalf of Martin Sawa, all the people out here, go out and find love this week or say more loving things to the one you're with. And remember that love is eternal if life is not, and we can always have more love. Thanks a lot, Martin, for being on the show. Until next time. See you, Dr. Alex. It's been a pleasure. That was a great interview we had with Martin Sawa, a gentleman who went from real estate entrepreneurship to uh, writing his, his memoir and talking about the love he had with his wives, especially his second wife, who died in a very sudden way, but also lived beyond that to give him love in a spiritual way. So this is a really beautiful story that you can love people despite differences, whether it's racial, ethnic, cultural, personality differences. And you can also love beyond death if you have that everlasting love that we call love without expectation. So this week... Love you, nursery students. I encourage you to go out and say, I love you to those that you do love. Meet more people. Maybe find the right soulmate compatible partner that will lift your life with love, just like Martin did after all these years. So until next time, if you want to reach us, you can reach us at loveuniversitylove at gmail.com. You can listen to us and subscribe to Podbean, Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. You can like us on Facebook at Love University Podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Love U Podcast. That's letter U. Until next time, put away your notebooks, your iPads, your books, and go on and have a Love University week. It's Dr. Avila.